0: Welcome to Truthfinder. This program searches for crucial answers to critical questions about belief, non-belief, and everything in between. Here is your host, Dr. Elijah Sadaful. Hello everyone and welcome back. We are continuing our episode that asks the critical question, was Darwin wrong? And we answer it with a resounding yes, that yes says Darwinian evolution by natural selection is not true because natural selection does not exist. In parts two and three, I provided the first five reasons why natural selection does not exist. Now I will provide the final two reasons why natural selection is not real. So why natural selection does not exist, reason number six, because natural selection does not account for information. In part two, I refer to Alfred Russell Wallace, a 19th century skeptic of Darwin's theory of evolution. Wallace was a scientist who was originally a champion of the idea of evolution, but he categorically stated that natural selection was neither plausible nor sufficient to explain the diversity of species. Why? Because human consciousness poses a huge barrier to evolution by natural selection, since the animals that we presumably evolved from lack the intellectual abilities that humans do. Wallace says there is a huge difference between the structure of life and the essence of life. Wallace writes, quote, Neither natural selection nor the general theory of evolution can give any account whatsoever of the origin of sensational or conscious life. They may teach us how, by chemical, electrical, or higher natural laws, the organized body can be built up, can grow, can reproduce its like. But those laws and that growth cannot even be conceived as endowing the newly arranged atoms with consciousness. But the moral and higher intellectual nature of man is as unique a phenomenon as was conscious life on its first appearance in the world, and the one is almost as difficult to conceive as originating by any law of evolution as the other. End quote. Wallace says that in nature we find evidence of design, since all things seem to work together for a purposeful end. He attributes this design to a higher intelligence and relies, for example, on the idea that grain is more than grain, but is also suitable for wheat and bread. In other words, there is a degree of functionality that transcends structure and natural selection presupposes to operate only on the structure of genes. Furthermore, Wallace ends by saying that evolution by natural selection only seeks to explain the physical being, not the intellectual or the moral one. The French philosopher and mathematician Descartes once said that there are two substances in the cosmos, one material and the other mental. At one point in the universe, minds did not exist, and then at another point, minds did. How did this happen? The mind, including thoughts, consciousness, and will, contains non-material information content that itself is separate and distinct from the material structure of DNA. Natural selection works only at the level of structure and thus fails to explain this non-material information content. The reality of the matter is there is information within us that cannot be neatly mapped onto material reality. The late George C. Williams was a pioneer in the field of gene selection theory. He was also an evolutionary biologist and a professor of biology. He put forth the idea that life contains something very significant, non-material information. In his book, The Third Culture, he writes, quote, Evolutionary biologists have failed to realize that they work with two or more less incommensurable domains, that of information and that of matter. These two domains can never be brought together in any kind of the sense usually implied by the term reductionism. The gene is a package of information, not an object. The pattern of base pairs in a DNA molecule specifies the gene, but the DNA molecule is the medium, it's not the message. Maintaining this distinction between the medium and the message is absolutely indispensable to clarity of thought about evolution. Just the fact that 15 years ago I started using a computer may have had something to do with my ideas here. The constant process of transferring information from one physical medium to another, and then being able to recover the same information in the original medium brings home the separability of information and matter. In biology, when you're talking about things like genes and genotypes and gene pools, you're talking about information, not physical objective reality." End quote. The bottom line is this, matter does not equal information. Truly, the medium and the message are two separate and distinct things. Darwinian evolution by natural selection attempts to explain the medium by way of genes, but not the message. For example, by way of analogy, natural selection attempts to explain the organization of elements that compose a microchip, but not the coding that allows you to do a Google search. A computer that lacks information is just a shiny box that does nothing when you plug it in because it won't even turn on. Similarly, in a book, the medium or the molecules of ink on molecules of paper that form symbols, that medium has nothing to do with an alphabet language and the message that an author wants to convey. In fact, ask yourself a probing question. Using only the medium, can you explain language starting from an atom and working your way up? Because information is not reducible to matter, a theory that explains life must also explain this information, something that Darwin's theory does not do. To validate this point, let's take a look at how proteins work. Proteins are the true workhorses of life, not DNA. DNA merely contains the information required to make proteins, and once built, the proteins act as the machines that build cells, work inside those cells, and execute the reactions necessary for life. Just one cell has thousands of different proteins that perform myriad functions. All those listening ought not to forget that the information in DNA is specified information. By specified, I mean DNA codes for a very specific protein which has a very specific biological function. Without this specified information, the protein cannot work and life crumbles. In order to appreciate just how specified the information in DNA is, let's take a brief look at protein form. DNA codes for amino acids like glycine and alanine and 20 different amino acids in different combinations make up essentially all proteins. Proteins in the human body can have as few as dozens of amino acids or as many as thousands. Before amino acids can become a functional protein machine, they have to be joined by chemical bonds on the ends of individual amino acids. When all of the amino acids are lined up in a chain, this is called the protein's primary structure. Based on the primary structure, the protein is held in shape by hydrogen bonds into a secondary structure, which is either an alpha helix or a beta pleated sheet. The tertiary structure is the three-dimensional shape of a protein. The tertiary structure has an amino acid chain backbone that may have multiple contained secondary structures and usually has many amino acid side chains that bond with one another in a number of ways. You can imagine a tertiary structure as a three-dimensional piece of a jigsaw puzzle. This piece has a very specific shape that fits in exactly with other pieces. So when a bunch of tertiary subunits precisely fit into one another, this is called a protein's quaternary structure. The quaternary structure functions as an operational whole. Generally speaking, when we talk about functional biological proteins, we are referring to their quaternary structures. Sometimes, as in the case of hemoglobin, which is the polypeptide that carries oxygen in your blood, hemoglobin's quaternary structure has capabilities that the tertiary structure does not. So a hemoglobin polypeptide, which has four subunits, is able to transport oxygen. Each of the subunits individually is not able to carry oxygen. Likewise, how our immune system works involves an immune cell that has a specific shape that matches the shape of another protein so the two can bind. Without this precise matchup, the system shuts down because the minimal function required to work no longer exists. Now how is all this information about proteins relevant? It is relevant because natural selection does not offer an explanation for any of it. The only thing natural selection offers is an anemic explanation at the level of material. It does not offer an explanation for the message or how that information is organized to orchestrate life. Natural selection does not offer an explanation for the complex specified information that codes for functional proteins, that codes for the interactions among proteins, that codes for enzymes that genes require to function, that codes for transcription and translation, and that organizes the interactions of functional proteins into a coherent system. It is not plausible that information encoded by the genetic material in DNA could have been assembled by blind forces because, figuratively speaking, specified information has its eyes wide open. Without a doubt, DNA is a code, and whenever we see a code in life, there is always an explanation that involves intelligence separate and distinct from the code. Thus, as David Berlinski writes, Quote, can the origins of a system of coded chemistry be explained in a way that makes no appeal whatsoever to the kinds of facts that we otherwise invoke to explain codes and languages, systems of communication, the impressive ordinary words on the world of matter?" End quote. I invite the audience to now engage in a thought experiment. Can you think of anything in reality that contains information that does not involve an intelligent designer? Here are a few information sources to get you started. A book, a smartphone, and a vinyl record. DNA contains information that codes for life. This code has a specific message that can only be interpreted by machines that can read this biological language and therefore permit life. Because natural selection provides no elucidation about how the information developed or was organized, it is therefore reasonable to say that natural selection does not offer a plausible explanation for the diversity of life. It is not reasonable to suggest that meaningful, complex, specified information is the result of mindless, blind forces without forethought. Therefore, because natural selection lacks explanatory power for the non-material information necessary for life, it does not exist. Get the bold and revolutionary new book from Dr. Sadoffel titled "Why Evolution Is Not True Because Natural Selection Does Not Exist." Go to TruthFinder.org and download your free ebook today. Download, read, and share. The final reason, reason number seven, why natural selection does not exist is because the fossil record does not provide credible evidence for evolution by natural selection. Whenever we talk about the fossil record, we admit that we are in the 21st century looking back to past epochs trying to find reasonable assurance that evolution by natural selection is the means by which speciation happened. We are not looking to the present to observe that species change yet remain the same species. We are looking back in search of concrete evidence that demonstrates how one species gradually evolved into another. Consequently, looking at the fossil record, how do we know with certainty that natural selection preserved favorable variations and thus was causal in the evolution of species? We don't. The definition of fitness or that natural selection has worked is survival, which is an endpoint that can be defined. Therefore, all organisms survive for a reason or a host of reasons, but there is no objective way to determine why an organism survived. The effect is survival and the cause explains why an organism survived. Every effect must have a cause, but effects are not the same events as their causes. A cause may therefore occur without its usual effect. We can make causal inferences to say that natural selection preserved favorable traits, but looking back to the fossil record, there is no way to properly define that connection. Many proponents of evolution by natural selection presume it to be true, and therefore presume it to be causal, without any direct evidence that natural selection actually did anything. Legitimate theories put themselves on the line, meaning they are vulnerable and are open to testing and falsification. That is, someone designs an experiment in order to prove the theory wrong. The fossil record is incapable of doing any of these things. If we therefore assign meaning to the fossil record, we can manufacture whatever we would like it to tell us, and no one can either prove or disprove said declarations. The fossil record cannot be tested. It can only be described. Certainly, we cannot test by looking for confirmatory or expected evidence in the fossil record, like the mere fact of change, or what we may speculate is evidence of speciation. Why can't we do that? There are three reasons. The first is that history is not science. The fossil record is a historical record and nothing more. History is neither testable nor reproducible. The fossil record may tell us that certain things changed. It does not tell us why. Organisms are preserved, their environment is not. If we were to prove that organisms survived in their environment because of a better adaptation in their environment, how are we to make this call without the environment? This is what history is, telling us now what happened then. If we fill in historical gaps with what we think may have happened, we have stepped out of science and into historical revisionism. The second reason that we cannot look for confirmatory evidence in the fossil record is that if we begin with Darwin's theory and then look back to what the fossil record says about it, this is not making an inference to the best explanation. Rather, it's making assumptions about a predetermined conclusion. The fossil record ought to speak for itself. What we ought to do is begin with the fossil record and then, analyzing it as a whole, ask ourselves, what does it tell us? The third reason that we cannot look for confirmatory evidence in the fossil record is that the fossil record is an explanation of the gaps. Scientists claim that microevolutionary changes are readily observable in a lifetime, but it would be unreasonable to expect to see macroevolutionary changes in a lifetime because that process takes much, much longer, anywhere from 100,000 to 5 million years. So, on the one hand, macroevolution cannot be observed, cannot be verified, and neither should it be expected in the lifespan of a normal human. Essentially then, we are told that evolution by natural selection explains the diversity of life and that it made big changes in the past, but we should not expect to observe it making concrete macroevolutionary changes in reality. There is therefore a huge gap between what Darwinism claims and what reality is actually capable of proving. What explains away this gap? Not science, but history by means of the fossil record. I could similarly explain that aliens strategically planted fossils on planet Earth millions of years ago and then left never to be seen again, so you ought not to expect tiny green men in the present. This is a claim that can neither be verified nor falsified. Hence, when science essentially informs us that empiricism and direct observation are in vain, suspicion should be raised. So what does reality tell us? that we can expect to find genetic variation for many traits, but genetic variability in no way, shape, or form confirms that evolution is true. It only confirms that genetic variability is real. Reality also tells us that when we, in the present without bias, consider the fossil record as a whole, it refutes Darwin's theory in clear and unfiltered terms. If evolution by natural selection were true, universally, we would expect to see primitive forms of organisms way way back in the fossil record and then slowly over time observe small incremental changes the fossil record as a whole reveals the sudden appearance of different classes of animals that are fully formed. This is most evident in the Cambrian Explosion, which refers to the geologically abrupt appearance of novel animals about 530 million years ago. Here, about 20 different animal phyla appeared within a narrow window of geologic time. In his 2002 book, Icons of Evolution, the molecular geneticist Jonathan Wells summarizes that because the Cambrian explosion suggests an abrupt appearance of diverse and highly developed organisms, it is a mystery of the geological record. The record testifies to the fact that fossils seemingly were planted there without any gradual transitions. Mr. Wells writes, quote, the evidence for Darwinian macroevolutionary transformations is most conspicuously absent just where the fossil evidence is most plentiful among marine invertebrates. If Darwin's theory were true, and if the correct explanation for the difficulty in finding ancestors were the incompleteness of the fossil record, then the evidence for macroevolutionary transitions would be most plentiful where the record is most complete. End quote. Niles Eldridge, a leader in the fields of biology and paleontology, states the following, quote, When we do see the introduction of evolutionary novelty, it usually shows up with a bang, and often with no firm evidence that the fossils did not evolve elsewhere. Evolution cannot forever be going on somewhere else. Yet, that's how the fossil record has struck many a forlorn paleontologist looking to learn something about evolution, end quote. Fossils showing up with a bang not only refutes the idea of gradual evolution, it also highlights the gross absence of transitional fossils, which would be intermediates in the gradual evolution between species. Furthermore, the fossil record is clear that those new organisms dated to the Cambrian explosion also have no antecedent forms. The maxim, nature does not leap, readily applies here. Darwin had no satisfactory answer as to why there was a scarcity of fossils before the Cambrian explosion and neither does modern science. Accordingly, consideration of the whole fossil record only lends support to Darwinian evolution if a preconceived idea is forced upon the record and all contrary evidence is ignored. In this case, contrary evidence is the entirety of the fossil record. Darwin himself expressed the lack of supporting evidence to be found in fossils. In Origin of Species, he wrote, quote, But, as by this theory innumerable transitional forms must have existed, why do we not find them embedded in countless numbers in the crust of the earth? I believe the answer mainly lies in the record being incomparably less perfect than is generally supposed. End quote. Darwin did express his hope that, in the future, numerous transitional varieties would be found, although the geological record as a whole is extremely imperfect. And what does the modern record reveal? The same thing it did in Darwin's time, a gross lack of evidence in support of Darwinism. William R. Fix writes the following in The Bone Peddlers, The geological record did not support universal macroevolution in Darwin's time, and it does not do so today. According to biologist Dr. Jerry Coyne, the fossil record that we have access to, at best, details 1% of all species that ever lived. In Why Evolution is True, he writes, Over the first 80% of the history of life, all species were soft-bodied, so we only have a foggy window into the earliest and most interesting developments in evolution and none at all into the origin of life. The total number of species that ever lived on Earth has been estimated to range between 17 million and 4 billion. Since we have discovered around 250,000 different fossil species, we can estimate that we have fossil evidence of only 0.1% to 1% of all species, hardly a good sample of the history of life. Is 1% enough? Do we have enough fossils to give us a good idea of how evolution presumably proceeded? There is no way to tell unless we suppose. The best we can do is let the evidence speak for itself. Now what about all the transitional forms that are popularized in the media? Well, what scientists label transitional ends up being less an exercise in objective science and more an experiment in subjective opinion. Essentially, scientists today lack any reasonable confidence to label a fossil as transitional or intermediate and often resort to wishful thinking. Once again, Dr. Coyne writes in Why Evolution is True, Whether a human-like fossil is named as one species or another can turn on matters as small as half a millimeter in the diameter of a tooth or slight differences in the shape of a thigh bone. The problem is that there are simply too few specimens spread out over too large a geographic area to make these decisions with any confidence." This overly subjective method is not novel, since the same ethos of subjectivity dominated in the 19th century when Darwin wrote Origin of Species. But is it even reasonable to expect many transitional fossil remains as proof of evolution by natural selection? According to Darwin, no, because that's exactly how natural selection works to preserve those individuals that are best adapted for survival and to eliminate those that have the least favorable variations. This is very convenient in that the very thing that would lend positive evidence to gradual evolution, transitional fossils, are the very things that natural selection discards. Darwin's explanation for the lack of intermediates did not amount to an explanation at all, just the reaffirmation of an inadequate record. Thus, although one may look for intermediates and common ancestors, one should seldom expect to find any. In origin, Darwin did suppose how transitional forms would appear by describing precise sequential geological happenings. What he concluded is that it would be a rare contingency to get a perfect gradation between two forms. As a result, according to Darwin's own formulations, what would be the most beneficial to provide evidence for natural selection is a fossil record robust with transitional forms, but such a gracious gift is not only exceedingly rare, but also not to be expected, and in reality does not exist. Now, one of the most intriguing statements that Darwin made in Origin of Species in regards to the fossil record is as follows. He writes, quote, because we continually overrate the perfection of the geological record and falsely infer, because no certain genera of families have not been found beneath a certain stage, that they did not exist before that stage. In all cases, positive paleontological evidence may be implicitly trusted. Negative evidence is worthless, as experience has often shown. End quote. Likely, this statement represents the strongest evidence for Darwin's departure from objective scientific inquiry and him diving headfirst into the realm of a philosophy animated by confirmation bias. In essence, what Darwin is saying here is this. We all know the fossil record is incomplete. So let's trust all the evidence that does support evolution and ignore all the evidence that does not. This is the blind faith of Darwinism, which is anathema to the truth. The brutal fact is that according to the fossil record, the positive facts of evolution are much rarer than most scientists will admit, and in many instances, those very facts humiliate evolutionary theory rather than supporting it. I will close this section with another quote from Dr. Niles Eldridge, the biologist and paleontologist. Dr. Eldridge actually co-developed the idea of punctuated equilibrium, which helps to explain all of the stasis that we see in the fossil record. The point is that Dr. Eldridge is a proponent of evolution, so we can appreciate the honesty of his statements. He writes, "...the smooth transition from one form of life to another, which is implied in the theory of evolution, is not borne out by the facts." The search for missing links between various living creatures, like humans and apes, is probably fruitless, because they probably never existed as distinct transitional types but no one has yet found any evidence of such transitional creatures. This oddity has been attributed to gaps in the fossil record, which gradualists expected to fill when rods of strata of the proper age had been found. In the last decade, however, geologists have found rock layers of all divisions, of the last 500 million years, and no transitional forms were contained in them. If it is not the fossil record which is incomplete, then it must be the theory." Quote. As a whole, the fossil record is a hostile witness against macroevolution because of the utter lack of compelling evidence. In fact, what the fossil record does provide is compelling evidence against gradualism and therefore Darwinian evolution by natural selection. Because of this overwhelming fossil evidence, it is clear that natural selection did not act in epoch's past, and it did not act because it does not exist. This will conclude all seven reasons why natural selection does not exist. The first reason is that natural selection lacks legitimate explanatory power. The second is because it is predicated on too many assumptions. The third is that natural selection does not explain life at the molecular level. The fourth is that mutations are not sufficient to explain the genetic novelty required for more advanced life. The fifth is that adaptive power is internal, not external. The sixth is that natural selection does not explain or account for information. And the seventh reason, why natural selection does not exist, is because the fossil record as a whole refutes Darwin's theory. So now that I have made the case for why natural selection does not exist, where do we go from here? What does this all mean? What are the ramifications for science and life as a whole? These questions will be answered in the final part of this episode where I will tie everything together and draw some meaningful conclusions now that it is clear that natural selection does not exist and therefore evolution is not true. Until next time. Thank you for listening. For more valuable content, including transcripts and research notes, please visit truthfinder.org.